Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. So what tends to happen, especially in this digital age when there's so much information coming at us, we hear a lot of things, thereby we think we know a lot of things, we think we understand a lot of things, yet without fruit. The evidence of those things is not always at the level that we think our understanding is at. Our level of experience is far below our level of what we think understanding and knowledge truly is. Amen? What is the point of being able to recite every verse of this? What is the point of knowing it from cover to cover if it has no meaningful impact in our lives? And what is the reason many of us know so much about the Word of God, but yet experience so little breakthrough, so little of the power of joy, of the grace of God, of the peace of God that frees us from anxiety, so, so much of the grace that enables us to walk in, 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 sin, in purity, free from sin, to experience the power of the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us. There is an attribute that, that is required and that is necessary to take this and this and to make it and to bring it alive here. Jesus spoke about this very clearly. You know the story, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. And Jesus is speaking a parable. It's a parable that we know since we were little children. Because the wise man built his house upon the rock. And the th- rain and the thun came tumbling down. And the best part always was the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rains came in and the floods came up. And the house on the sand went... And that's, a, that's my favorite part of the song anyways. Now I don't want my life to go... And I'm sure you don't want your life to go that way either. But Jesus said it this way. This, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, in other words, my teachings, and does them. Whoever hears them and does them. So in other words, not just those who sit and listen. It's not just those who listen to sermons online or come to church on a Sunday or even read their Bibles. But it's those who have taken the word with an attitude of humility that says, I'm not just going to, I'm, I'm going to trust this and thereby doing it. To step out in obedience is the evidence of a heart of true humility. It says, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall. Why? Because it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. You see, folks, the storms of life, the rain and the winds and all of these things, they hit us all. Nobody is immune to them. Jesus never promised us that we would have it easy because we believe in Him. In fact, He says, in this world you will have tribulations. But He didn't leave it there, thank God. He said, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. I am with you. And so the point that I'm, that I'm drawing from here is the fact that just because I know what the Bible says, maybe I can even have a deep discussion on it, maybe I hold 
very strong opinions or theological arguments, it does not mean that I truly understand what I'm talking about. The evidence that I truly understand what I'm talking about is that I have a testimony of how that is at work in my life. I have a story of how I have applied God's Word in a difficult or a trying situation, and I've seen the power of that Word at work in my heart, internally, as well as in my situation, externally. I've seen and I've walked out the faithfulness of God in, in His promises. He promised me that, even though it was contrary to everything I was feeling or seeing, but yet I trusted in it and I obeyed it and I saw the fruit of it. That is the life that is built on the rock. That is the one who overcomes the storms, who stands throughout the midst of them and is able to endure successfully and with grace everything that the world has to throw at us. James says a similar thing. And this is the brother of Jesus now. So look, it's not, it's not far from home here. And James says in chapter 1, 22 to 25, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This to me is such a sobering thing because I realize the propensity that I have to deceive myself. I'm not sure where it is. I think it's in Isaiah where it says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? In other words, I have the ability to believe and to think things as true about myself and about my situation to set a narrative for myself that I believe to be the real reason why I'm experiencing what I'm experiencing and yet be completely wrong. And the danger is that I respond to the narrative I believe. I live according to the narrative that I have set before me. But yet I'm so prone to deceiving myself. So James here says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So in other words, if I give myself to hearing the word of God continually but never set myself to actually putting it in practice, I become deceived. That decept and this kind of self-deception is rife within the church today. It's, it's the idea that because I know something, that thing is at work in me. I'm experiencing the good of that thing that I know. But the reality is it's not in the knowing, it's in the fruit. It's in the evidence. It's in what I actually experience day to day, regardless of what I think or say. You know, the good example of this is this. We're very good at judging other people by their actions. But yet we judge ourselves by our intentions. And those are often two very different things. Why? Because I intend to get up and pray every single morning. <laughs> right? And I intend to speak to everybody with kindness, even if they're horrible and nasty back to me. And I intend to... Give freely and liberally of my time, of my resources, of encouragement. And we say things like, yes, but God knows my heart. And the truth is, God does know your heart. The problem is that you need to be introduced to your heart. I need to be introduced to myself. The truth about myself. And that's why when I approach the Word of God, such humility is required. Because if I think I know it, and if I think I'm walking in it, and I'm not prepared to allow that word to be like a mirror to show me what I'm truly like, I will deceive myself. I will profess something glorious about my God and about what I believe, but I will undermine it 
by my life. James goes on to say, For everyone, for if, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his face in the mirror. He observes himself, but he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, in other words, applies it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this is the one who is blessed in all he does. How to make this really simple. I may see something as I'm reading through the Word of God. Maybe it's in a sermon that I'm hearing. Maybe it's part of the Bible study. Maybe it's in my own devotional time. And I know that that particular issue is an area of weakness in my life. And in that moment, I recognize my need in this area. Or perhaps better put, I recognize my lack in this particular area. But how easy is it? And how often do we go, yes, Lord, I see that. Please help me in that. And we close our Bibles and we carry on with our day without a clear intention to actually take that area and camp there for a while and say, hang on a second. God, you're actually speaking to me about this. Because if I see I'm lacking here, and if I do nothing about it, that means I'm satisfied. That means I'm okay. I'm okay to walk in this way. I'm okay to fall short in this area and undermine my testimony and the power of your gospel. And I think so often we get caught in that habit, that trait of seeing, identifying, and perhaps knowing things. And listen, when God's conviction comes, God does not bring condemnation. That doesn't come from God. That comes from the enemy. That's the accuser of the brethren, who, by the way, loves to point out all your faults, all your weaknesses. He entices you to sin and then whips you for your sin. That's his way of doing things. God's way of dealing with things is not through condemnation, but through conviction. It's to say, my son, my daughter, I have something better for you. What you are doing is robbing you of joy and of life and of peace and of my grace. And I want you to come up higher and I will help you do it if you are humble enough to allow me. You see, that humility is the key feature. It's to say, God, help me here. I need your help because it's clear to me that I'm falling short. I was really touched by a portion of Scripture that I'd read before but hadn't really stood out to me in this way before. And it comes out of the book of Isaiah from chapter 28. Isaiah is dealing with an attitude of spiritual arrogance. Now, arrogance generally we would consider it an attitude that puffs itself up, that parades itself, that is just it knows everything and it's happy to give advice to everyone and everything. But you know what? Arrogance can be very subtle too. Arrogance can simply be, I don't want your advice. I don't want anybody. I don't want your input. I don't want you to tell me what you think. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's all that arrogance is. Arrogance is just me saying, my opinion is going to be top and I'm going to go with what I think is best, regardless of what you think. Spiritual arrogance is the same thing. It's an arrogance that comes from what I think I know or from my past experience or from past growth, yet I have now stagnated. I'm not experiencing the life that I once had. I'm not experiencing the joy of the Lord or the passion for God that I once had, but I think because I know some things, I'm okay and everything's all right. And here, the prophet Isaiah is sent to confront the prophets and the priests of Israel. Here is the state. Isaiah 28.1 says, 
What sorrow awaits the proud city of Samaria, the glorious crown of the drunks of Israel. It sits in the, ha- in the head, uh, sorry, it sits at the head of a fertile valley, but its glorious beauty will fade like a flower. It is the pride of a people brought down by wine. And who is he addressing here? He's addressing the drunk priests and the drunk prophets of Israel. A little bit before the next portion of passage, he says, you guys are so drunk, you know, everywhere you look, vomit is everywhere. I mean, it's just disgusting. It's a disgusting state, and these are the people of God, the messengers of God. And he picks up, in verse verse 9 of the the chapter, he says, and, and this is a question, and it's a question not asked by Isaiah, it's asked by these arrogant people that Isaiah has been sent to correct. It says, whom will he teach knowledge? And whom will he make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk? Those just drawn from the breast? And this question, like I say, is aimed at Isaiah by the prophets and the priests of Israel. And they are mocking him as if to say, who do you think you are? And who do you think you are talking to? Do you not know that we are the prophets and the priests of Israel? We have titles. We have position. We have influence. We're in charge here. We set the stage. Who do you think you are? Utter arrogance and a complete lack of humility. And this is the way that Isaiah responds. He said, for precept, talking about the word of God and the law of God, Isaiah was trying to restore the law and the word of God. And they weren't having it. They didn't want the rules. They didn't want the regulations. But Isaiah says, no, precept must be built upon precept. Precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. But with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to this people, to whom he said, this is the rest which you may cause the the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. But the word of the Lord was to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they, might go fall, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and caught. Now, to help you understand a little bit about what this is really trying to communicate, because there's a spiritual principle in here that our spiritual growth and development does not happen overnight. It is not an instant thing. It is a journey that all of us are on, and we're all in different stages and phases, and that is okay. And how do we grow spiritually? Line upon line. Precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. As I spend time with God and I learn something and I begin to walk that out and I begin to apply that, I grow in that area of my life. I then become proficient in that area of my life and I can deal with something else. And that is the journey God is on with all of us all the time. But let me read to you the same portion of Scripture from the message because it puts it really well. And it really, you can see Isaiah in the face of their arrogance bringing them down to earth once again. Verse 9, this is them speaking. Is that so? And who do you think you are to teach us? Who are you to lord it over us? We're not babies in diapers to be talked down to by such as you. Da, 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 blah, 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 blah. That's a good little girl. That's a good little boy. But that's exactly how you will be addressed, Isaiah says. God will speak to this people in baby talk, one syllable at a time, and he'll do it through foreign oppressors. He said before, this is the time and the place to rest, to give rest to the weary, but this 
this is the place to lay down your burden, but they won't listen. God will start over with some basic examples and address them in baby talk one syllable at a time. Da, 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 da. Blah, 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 blah. That's a good little girl. That's a good little boy. And like toddlers, they will get up and they will fall down and they will get bruised and confused and lost. Why? Because although they think they know all of this stuff, look at them. You think you're mature spiritually because you carry a title, but look at you. Look at where you are. Folk, it it is the characteristic of children to think that they know everything, but yet their lives tell a different story. Just yesterday, my youngest was painting outside, and I went to go and check up and see if everything was okay and whether the half my house had been painted. And I was told, Dad, here's how I'm mixing. And this is what bright pink looks like. This is what bright yellow looks like. And this is what bright purple looks like. To which I said, wow, that's amazing. Little child telling me, matter of fact, that this is what these things look like. And that's just the attitude of children. They think they know things. They love to speak out. They love to talk. And I'll give you another example, a beautiful example. Leah at school does something, I think it's called life orientation. And as part of life orientation, they teach them conflict resolution. How to solve problems between each other. And so the news was on the TV. I was checking out what was happening in the the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And she she pipes up, she says, Dad... Don't these, didn't these people go to school? Don't they know anything about how to resolve conflict? Didn't they do life sciences? So I started laughing. And she looks at me, she goes, Dad, this is what happens when you don't listen in class. <laughs> Vladimir, are you listening? So it was, I had such a laugh at that. I thought it was beautiful. So matter of fact, I've got this all figured out. And yet, that's so often what we're like concerning spiritual things, folks. We think we've got it all figured out. But, just like children, we need help. We need to sometimes be treated, not according to our age, but according to our behavior. Ouch. Ouch. The same principle applies to you and me as we come to spiritual growth and development. We want to move on to and into the deep things of God and experience a new measure of the grace of God and flow in the gifts and in the power of the Spirit of God and experience all these mighty things, but we are still caught up in making excuses for not doing the little things that we know God expects of us. How many of you are trapped in your own excuses? That's self-deception. And I can even see that in my life. I've been so challenged by this message I'm bringing to you this morning in my own preparation. And our prayer as we hear this ought to be, God, help me. God, help me. God, deal with me. I am willing to be dealt with. Help me see myself truly as I am, not through my perception or my deception, but as I truly am. Help me see the help that I really need. Help me to see where I really need to apply your word, where I think I know what I'm doing, but I'm actually groping in the dark.
Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, now understand the context of this letter is he's writing to a church where the gifts of the Holy Spirit are in manifestation like hectically. They are praying in the Spirit and they're arguing over one another about prophecy and and gifts and healings and miracles. There's, There's incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit but yet they had no spiritual maturity within themselves. He says to them, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as carnal, as to babies in Christ. And so here we see the same same thing that Isaiah was doing to those people. He said, I've got to talk to you like a child, like children, because you're acting and behaving like children. You want to talk about the big things of God, you want to flow in all these gifts, but look, he says, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you're not able to receive it, and even even now you're still not able, for you are still carnal. In other words, you are not spirit-led, you are still led by your flesh. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So despite these manifestations... They were still fleshly, controlled by their appetites and by their pleasures. You see, carnal people, in other words, fleshly people, people who are led by their five physical senses, people who, it's the same as people who have no God. They do what seems right to them, they minister to their own comfort, and they do, you know, they put number one first, and I am number one if I have no God in my life. Carnal people generally avoid the uncomfortable. Siobhan spoke to us last week about uncomfortable, being uncomfortable as we follow follow Christ. And we see things in ourselves and situations that we need to deal with, and that's uncomfortable. We avoid the uncomfortable. We live, those who are carnal live for pleasure and prestige, and they respond to the same things the world responds to. They go after the same things the world responds to, and they do it in the same ways. Folks, in many areas, the greatest hindrance to the gospel of Jesus is the church. Because we profess one thing, but we live something completely different. I don't know how many of you, but I know so many people have been so deeply wounded and deeply hurt by people who profess to be the carriers of the love of God. Some of the deepest wounds I've seen having people having to deal with are wounds they received in the church from the church. And it really ought not to be so. I want to say to you today, there's nothing wrong with being a child. There's nothing wrong with being a new believer. There's nothing wrong with being immature in the Lord. That's not a sin in and of itself. But if you've been, and if we have been stuck there, if there are areas in our experience that have been stuck in immaturity for a long time, God is saying, hey, it's time to do something about that. And so what we naturally do is we say, all right, well, give us the five-point plan. But before we even get to any plans, it's the attitude of our hearts before God that needs to be sorted out, that needs to be aligned and put in its rightful place. You see, a child is never chastised for being a child. God never shouts at you. He's never angry at you for your immaturity. The only person who chastises people for being children is Mrs. Trunchbull from Matilda. How many of you know of Mrs. Trunchbull from Matilda? This is what she says. Children, they're all mistakes. All of them. Filthy, nasty things. Glad I never was one. 
And yet that's the attitude we so often have with each other. That's the attitude we so often have with people. You better grow up. We're just like the prophets of Israel back in the day, oblivious to what's going on in our own hearts and lives, our own indifference, our own apathy, our own hardness of heart, but very quick to point it out in others. Mrs. Trunchbull, in making statements like that, shows her own immaturity, shows how much she herself may have grown up physically, but she's still a child, acts like a child, thinks like a child, behaves like a child. Folks, I want to be honest with you this morning and say the greatest challenge I face in my life is my own carnality. And I'm sure you can relate to that. It's not the onslaught of the devil. It's not the stuff that goes on outside. It's the weakness that is within. It's the areas where I have failed to grow, where I have failed to grasp God's word and to respond with the humility and the action that is required. It's my insecurities that make me want to preserve and promote myself. It's my fears or my wavering unbelief that keep me from boldly obeying and doing what God has called me to do with fullness of faith. It's the sinful desires that keep me pursuing that which is contrary to my conscience. And Paul warns Timothy about this. In his letter to this spiritual son of his, to this young man who's endeavoring to, to pastor others, he says, Timothy, this is his second letter, 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5, he says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Folks, we're in the last days. We are facing very difficult times. For people will love themselves, will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving, they will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless, puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. You know what he says? Stay away from people like that. That's a dangerous place to be. When we act godly and we profess, but yet the, the power of God to bring transformation in our hearts and lives is not truly at work. Folks, the power that is contained within God's word for transformation is either released or it is bound up by our attitude towards it. It's as simple as that. That's all that God requires is faith. My approach to this word determines what I get out of it. That's why people can read the Bible cover to cover and remain unchanged and untouched. They become more set in their deception despite having read the truth because their attitude towards it is all wrong. The evidence that we've received the word as truth and truly believe it is that we act on it. Because there is no substitute for obedience. It is obedience that establishes the lordship of Jesus in our lives. And I want to say that those around us see the evidence of who our Lord truly is. It's not about my intentions. Ask those around you what kind of person you are. 
And pray that they're honest, or maybe pray that they're not. I don't know. <laughs> no, pray that they're honest. Folks, I want you to understand something. Look, listen. I'm not standing in front of you this morning trying to say, hey, you guys, you guys need to sort yourselves out. Please understand that's not my heart this morning. My heart is to say that, that we articulate something in this spiritual family, and we've been saying it for some time, that we're desiring something more. We can have prayer meeting after prayer meeting, and those are good. And we can come here Sunday after Sunday and sing our songs and listen to the Word, and that is good. And we can give our offerings and our tithes and our first fruits, and that is good. But we need to remember that all of these things stem from and are about one thing. And that is our personal relationship with Jesus. You see, this word is not just letters on a page. It is the revelation of God himself to our hearts. It is the person of Jesus to us. It is the one who gave his life for you and for me, who longs to take you by the hand, who longs to take you by the hand and say, come. I want to show you something. Come look over here. This is what pink really looks like. You thought you knew what pink looked like. Come here. That's what yellow really looks like. And your mind is going, because I never saw yellow like that before in my life. He's going to say, I want to show you the ways of peace. I want to show you what to do with that person. That person who did that to you, I want to tell you, this is what I want you to do. Will you do it? No, you won't. Well, then, what's the point? Then I might as well say, okay, well, good. Have a nice day. But what should you say? This is what I want you to do with that person. If Jesus is saying this to you, that's what I'm going to do. Yes. Whatever Jesus says, right? Yes. Thank you, Sydney. Let me see. It, is the, it is the intimate journey of being humble enough to allow, in essence... This word to take you by the hand. And in humility, not think you know what it says, not think you know what it's all about, and just say, Jesus, today, let's talk about that speck and my log. Today, let's talk about my attitude towards so-and-so and how I'm going to actually do something about it. Today, can we talk about this situation, God, and show me what to do about it, how to walk in simple humility of obedience. My closing scripture comes from the book of 2 Peter, verse, chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. How many of you want grace and peace in abundance? His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these... He has given us great, very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. In other words, not know about this divine nature, the very nature of God, we get to participate in it through the obedience to His Word, through the practice of His promises, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. But for this very reason, giving all diligence, and here we have it again, Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, 
and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his sins. And here we see it again. Add to knowledge virtue and to virtue patience. We see the principle of line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. That is how growth comes. That is how we go from one level to another. Charles Spurgeon says this, This also implies that we can't receive all aspects of God's message at once. It is an excellent thing that the gospel is taught to us by degrees. It is not forced home upon men's minds all at once, but it comes precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. God does not flash everlasting daylight on weak eyes in the blaze of glory, but there is at first a dim dawn and a soft incoming of a tender light for tender eyes. And so, by degrees, we will see. So, by degrees, we will see. I'm not sure, in every single one of your situations and lives right now, what what thing you may be struggling with. What area you are feeling, perhaps you're feeling defeated, you're feeling deflated, you, you lack the motivation you know you should have and the motivation you need. And you just want to get on with the plan to deal with that. I want to say to you in all humility, go and talk to God about that. You know the things that are frustrating you. You know the things that are causing anxiety or fear in your hearts. God has an answer, a strategy, and a solution for every one of them. And he longs to reveal it to you. And as he does, and as you begin to walk in it, through sincere trust in him, with a humble heart that receives what he says as truth and powerful, you will begin to experience the grace and the life of God working in and through your situation. It's these little things, these small acts of obedience, that little by little, cause the growth of the body. As we reach out, as we share love, as we allow Him to lead us and guide us, so we grow. So as we talk about spiritual development and all the things and all the ways in which we can do it through prayer, through fasting, through study of the Word, through all manner of things, I want to say to you, one thing is required before any of that has any effect. We need to take time and establish afresh an attitude of deep and sincere humility before the Word of God. Because it's that attitude that determines what this does. It determines the fruit. It determines what we experience. Amen? Let's stand together. Let me close in a simple prayer. Father, I want to thank you this morning that you are so good and gracious with us, Lord God. You are very patient. You are long-suffering because you love us so dearly and deeply. 
And Lord, perhaps for many of us here this morning, we sense the prick in our conscience, Lord God, of knowing that we've settled on head knowledge. We've settled on parts of the Word of God that we feel we know, but that we're not walking in the fullness of yet. And I want to pray, Lord God, that as we come before you this very morning, and as we spend time with you in the week that lies ahead, Lord, that a heart attitude of sincere and deep humility would be established within us, Heavenly Father. That we would approach your word not as some good idea, not as some new advice that may be out there that we get to decide whether or not we follow, but that we would allow your word to be the compass or the rudder for our lives. That we would have the boldness to believe and to trust that what you say you mean and that you will back it up. And that you will give us the grace to walk in obedience to you as we have humble hearts before you, Father God. So, Lord, I want to pray. Show us the areas, Lord, where, you, where we think we know what we're doing, but where the fruit undermines our logic. Show us the areas where we are weak and we need your grace, that we may receive that which we need from you to grow, to mature, to move beyond carnality, and into life in the Spirit as sons and daughters of God Most High. And if you pray that prayer with me this morning, voice your agreement as we say in Jesus' name, Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.